All right. Well, happy Father's Day. And um, what I'd like to do is uh, take some time to have you honor and acknowledge your father, living or dead. I just want to give some time to give some testimony uh, to the church, God's people, to where you could just stand or sit. But just raise your hand and, and give thanks for your dad. Um, and so I just want to open it up right now for that time. Anyone at all? So hopefully this message today will be an encouragement to everyone. I want to pull up this quote from Billy Graham. A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Billy Graham. Um, very quotable uh, individual for sure. And it is because, you know, bad fathers lead to kids that get messed up and then also in turn almost reciprocate and make bad decisions in life because they didn't have a good model or a good example. And so, uh, hey, before I move on to I wanted to say this, that uh, one of the announcements was um, next Sunday on the 23rd, it's in the, in the evening service, we're going to be having a graduation party for Michael and Dylan and um, the Nunezes who are with their folks up in Victorville today um, texted in during the service and said, don't forget to mention that. And so I'm just saying um, that's to come this coming. And so it'll be fun. It'll be, we're just going to have some food, barbecue. Uh, there'll be some comments made and it's just going to be honoring some of these uh, young people and young men that are going to be going out in the world, trying to figure out how to make an income. Right. And then, you know, they're thinking like, Okay, God, who are you going to hook me up with? Right? Who's going to be my wife for life? And then they're going to be uh, parents, and so it goes. Um, so today, if you would, take your, take your Bible and turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be hanging out in Galatians for a little bit. But today I want to take a look at Father Abraham and see if our men and boys and women and children will accept the Bible's challenge to walk in that faith of Abraham. In Romans 15, 4, the Bible says this, For whatsoever things are written before were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So when we look to people that God has divinely put into his scriptures, we could learn from them. We could learn how God relates to them and how they chose to relate to God and hopefully um, glean some things that will be helpful in our walk. So hopefully when we read the Old and New Testaments today that we'll learn, um, we could learn what it is that the Lord has for us. And I want to say this, that no one except the Lord Jesus Christ and Adam initially, but then he fell. But there's no one in the Bible that lived a perfect life. So forensically speaking, if the Bible sugarcoated and glossed over the imperfections of the people who God used um, and who he ministered to and through, if he glossed it over and never showed their dirty laundry, forensically, it would be highly suspect, right? I mean, even if you take the four gospels, they tell the same story and they tell it in a little different way. If they, forensically speaking, if they had all of their stories exactly match the same, that would raise more questions than it would you know, lend itself to the authenticity of the scripture. So what I'm saying is 
When we see Abraham, we see a friend of God, we see a father, we see a husband, we see a man who walked by faith, but we also see a man who walked by flesh and a man who also failed, right? We're going to see that uh, today. And I want to bring this out. Abraham is considered to be one of the most significant founders and fathers to three of the most prominent monotheistic religions that the world has ever known. This is phenomenal. I have never taken this into consideration. Abraham in the Quran, which is the, the holy book that Islam and the Muslims hold as their sacred uh, scripture and text, he's one of the biggest prophetic heroes and icons of their faith, which was written some 700 years after uh, Christ you know, ascended into heaven. So it was 700 years after Christianity was birthed, but... From that spawned Islam, which encompasses well over a billion followers, and they hold Abraham as the father of their faith. Interesting. Jews, of course, Abraham, father of their faith. Christians, of course, all through the New Testament, Abraham, father of our faith, and we're going to look at that here. So you have three enormous monotheistic religions, because he came out of the Ur of Chaldees, he was leaving this polytheistic meaning that, you know, this belief in many gods, and he became a follower and a faithful believer of the one true God. And he was referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. One God. Muslims believe the same. Christians believe the same. And it's interesting that they all go back to Abraham. Kind of interesting, right? Um, so... When God changed, changed Abram's name to Abraham, it literally meant the father of many nations. He also changed Sarah, Sarai's name to Sarah, and her name meant princess. But combined, if you think about him becoming, going from Abram to Abraham, the father of many nations, really God meant what he said. What I'm going to, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars of heaven. And if you just look at the numbers today, um, it's really happened. So let's take a look into Father Abraham's life and learn as fathers and mothers and hopefully learn as children of God who our Heavenly Father is in relation. So take your Bibles. If you're there in Galatians 4, we're going to look at verse 21. This is where we were last week. Tell me you the desire to be under the law. Do you not hear and know the law? Remember, we talked about that at quite at great length last week. In other words, you guys that want to be under the law, you got to know it's an all or nothing covenant. It's an all or nothing proposition. You can't just select the, the laws that you like and avoid the ones that you dislike. You have to faithfully keep everything that's written in the law as they agreed. We will do all of the words that you've commanded us this day, but people that say that they want to do that, do they even know what the law says? Do they even know the blessings and the cursings that are attached to it? And we dare say not too many people do. Paul understood this and he was trying to implore them as a father to these, this, these, uh, these local churches. As a father, he's coming to them and beckoning with them and pleading with them, please don't go back to Moses. Please don't go back to a covenant that just has uh, as a curse 
um, and condemnation attached to it. Please don't go backwards and settle for something less than Jesus, even if it's in the likes of Moses. And so he begged with them. He pleaded with them. He prayed for them. And with many tears, um, he was so disturbed at what was going on in these local churches after he had given them Jesus, given them grace, given them the new covenant, and then left. And then other people would come and then put them back into bondage. And so he goes on to illustrate this. He says in verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, which was Hagar and Ishmael, the other by a free woman, which was um, Sarah, and that was Isaac. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. And that's a key thought there. He that was born after Hagar, the handmaid, this polygamous, adulterous kind of thing, the setup that they planned and they schemed, the one that was at totally after the flesh, it was their ingenuity, their performance, their planning, their scheming. Um, that, that son, though all life is precious, and you could read about this, uh, I believe it's in Genesis 16, how God takes care of them when Sarah fi finds displeasure, when she has a, um, <coughs> a son, um, she re automatically resents her decision and wants no, nothing to do with um, Hagar, kicks her out, and God still takes care of him. In fact, God says, you're going to be blessed, but he also says this about him. You're going to be a, people are going to have problems with you and your descendants. And I'm not going to be this, I don't want to sound racist or stereotypical, but if Ishmael is connected to the people of the Middle East and connected to the, the religion of Islam, I hate to say this, but a lot of problems come from that faith in that, that region, a lot of them, right? Not all of them. Christianity has its black eyes and America has its history and there's different people groups that do. But if we're just going based on what God says, you, people are going to have problems with you and you're going to have problems with everyone around you. It's just kind of seemed to be the way it is. It's gone even today. And we're going to read about that even um, in, in the end of this chapter. But he goes on to say, um, verse 24, these things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which was the law that God gave to Moses and the children of Israel, um, which leads to bondage, which is Hagar. In this analogy, he's saying Hagar equals the old covenant, Moses, um, all that, that comes with the bondage that's associated with that. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai and Arabia and answers to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children, basically meaning in that contemporary time when he's writing that Jerusalem was held captive uh, by, the, by the Romans. But the Jerusalem, which is above, now he's saying spiritual Jerusalem, which we read about in Revelation 20 and 21 and so on, um, is the mother of us all. That's where the real freedom comes. For it is written, rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, and break forth and cry that thou that travailest not, for the desolate has many more children than, than she which has a husband. And so in other words, God is going to keep his word that through Abraham, he's going to be the father of many nations. Um, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of the promise. Now, hold that thought there. We are identified with the children of the promise. We who are born again. If you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you were not birthed based on scheming, works. Um, your birth did not come from your performance, your ingenuity, your ability to make yourself acceptable to God. This is a perfect analogy of grace versus works or flesh versus faith. If you've placed your faith alone in Christ alone, you're of the free, you're of the new covenant, you're of Jerusalem, you're of Abraham and Sarah, you're of that lineage. Does that make sense? I know we're Gentiles looking back at an Old Testament example, but, um, <clears throat> but Abraham predates by hundreds of years the law, and he's going to make that point later on that we'll look at. So look at verse 29. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. You know what that means? There's going to be a war. Look, is it not hard enough to live the Christian life when your flesh wants to do something? Your, your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. Is that war not hard enough, right? Like my greatest enemy is me. <laughs> right? The one wearing this weird thing on my, my ears and my, this, this person that's wearing this, that's my worst enemy. But I do know there's a whole kingdom of darkness that we live in. There's a whole, there's a whole ruler uh, of principalities and, and powers and, and high places in darkness that, that want to distract me from the kingdom that I'm really attached to and the king that I really have loyalty to. And he's really trying to blind me and to distract me and to get me bogged down with the cares of this life so that I do not think about uh, my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I, when I do walk in faith and when I do yield to the spirit, there's enemies out there and they will persecute you. And so basically it is those that are of the world and those that are of God, they're going to be at odds with one another. And that's what he's saying. And, um, Nevertheless, verse 30, what does the scripture say? Well, cast out the bondwoman and her son, Hagar and Ishmael, for the son of the bondwoman should not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. He says it again. Are we good? I feel like everyone needs a Red Bull. Shot of coffee around the house, <laughs> around the house. Let's pray, and then um, we'll look at a few thoughts here. Hopefully, we'll be encouraging to you. As we look to Abraham, as he's called Father Abraham, right? We, that's what we need to do. We need to probably get up and do some Father Abraham stuff and, and move around a little bit. <clears throat> but let me pray, and then we're going to look at some thoughts concerning um, Abraham's faith and how it relates to us today. Heavenly Father, I do pray that only you could... Only you could encourage, only you could minister. Um, I'm just relaying what you relayed to me, and I just pray that your Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, that you would have liberty here, and that you would just run the room, Lord, and just knit hearts to you, encourage, build up, strengthen. And Lord, I know there's so many distractions that are, are from the kingdom of this world, the kingdom but I just pray that your kingdom right now would prevail and that we would not be distracted and that we would truly just take this moment and focus in on who you are. And, um, um, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So firstly, I'd like to look at Abraham's response in faith. 
Now the Lord had said to Abram, this is in Genesis chapter 12, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is quite amazing. He then immediately packs up everything. He takes Sarah, his wife. He takes his nephew, Lot. They just, they journey on. They go, they step out in faith. Um, it's incredible if you go back and actually read the events that took place. I don't like to call them stories because that makes it seem like it, eh, it's fiction based on fact. I think they're real live events. And so when you go back and read the events of what actually happened, it's kind of phenomenal. I mean, right away they step out. And you think like you just go from point A to point B. And when you read the scriptures, sometimes you could read a verse 1 and then verse 2 and 20 years has taken place. Right? That's kind of uh, interesting about the Bible. (coughs) But right from Genesis chapter 12, 13, 14, it's interesting to me that Abraham... There's a famine that takes place. They go down to Egypt, and his wife is beautiful. Sarah's really gorgeous, and he knows this, and he says this. He says, Sarah, um, I know the Pharaoh's going to want to take you as one of his concubines, and they're going to kill me, right? And they're going to take you. Um, so let's, let's just agree with this for a second. Let's just say that you're my sister. So they don't think that we're married. And so, you know, they they make you a widow and then they're like, take you from there. And so um, he's already kind of, you kind of see that they, he left by faith and then he immediately went to flesh, right? I'm not bringing this up as a major point, but it's, it's interesting to note that when we read in this next passage, how Sarah then comes up with the scheme to get Abraham to go along with he already came up with a scheme to get her to get along with, right? <clears throat> and how many times do husband and wives become partners in crime sometimes, right? Um, the first couple, if you think about it, Adam and Eve had a perfect father. So you fathers out there that have lame kids and you're good, you're a good, good father, but your kids are lame, lame kids, right? Adam and Eve had a good, good father, And God had lame, lame kids, right? (laughs) They left a perfect childhood experience and they still chose to sin. So you could have the best Christian home, the best Christian education. You could have all the devotion times. You could go through the Bible in a year with your kids. You could go to church every Sunday and they're still going to make decisions that might not be the best for them, right? So be encouraged. Your job is faithfulness. That's your job. So, um, <coughs> ah, it reminded me of a passage. Let me, just a side note for fathers here. I think it's Proverbs 20, verse 7. A just man walks in his, in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Keep that in mind. Well, I want you to see this. So Abraham's response to faith, he left by faith. He was walking by faith. Circumstances arose, and then he started to walk in the flesh, and now he's going he's to continue this pattern. In Genesis chapter 16, if you'll look up on the screen with me, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Now remember, Genesis 12 is the introduction to Abraham. God says, get you out through you, 
all the nations are going to be blessed. You know what the implication is, is that you need to have children because um, through your children is going to come the Messiah, the Deliverer, <coughs> the Promised Seed. And so if that doesn't happen, and I was thinking about this too. Remember when Abraham took his son up Isaac to uh, put him on the altar? Remember that? And he says, we're going to come back down. You know what his faith was when he went, when he was doing that? He was basically saying, okay, God, you gave me this promised son. If he's going to die, how are the other nations of the world going to be blessed if this promised son dies? Well, maybe you rise, raise him from the dead. So if he dies, he's going to be raised from, he believed in resurrection. But when he tells his wife to lie and to say, hey, we're brothers and sisters, we're not married. Because if they kill me, then the promises have no effect, right? He's basically going back to flesh. He's going back to, well, let's take matters into our own hands because I don't really believe that God is going to uh, fulfill his word because if I die, then the promises uh, of no effect. This is exactly what's taking place here from Sarah. <coughs> so read with me if you would. Sarah, Abraham's wife, had, no, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please uh, go into my maid. Perhaps she shall obtain children. Or we shall, I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took uh, Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. After Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. So Hagar had borne Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And let me just say this. Abraham loved Ishmael. It was his only child, his only son. He loved him, right? <clears throat> and lest you think this is kind of weird, this is kind of a, in the culture back in the day, um, but let's just fast forward. Polygamy in today's culture, when there's multiple wives, it doesn't go well. It just does not work. So Sarah is getting jealous of Hagar and Ishmael. You can see the tension. I mean, how many of you wives want, want to uh, share your husband with another woman? No one wants that. So you could see like this planning, this scheming. She had good intentions, but the worst end results possible. So, so we looked at Abraham's response of faith. We looked at Abraham's response in the flesh because he went along with uh, Sarah and their scheming. But let's look at this. In Genesis chapter 21, Abraham's restored and he's revisiting his faith, the promise that God originally gave. So Genesis chapter 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in, her, in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son which was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me to laugh, and all who uh, hear will laugh with me. She also said, um, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I have borne him a son in his old age because the thing is it's like if God doesn't pull this off this isn't going to happen that's why this is the son of promise 
Hagar was younger. <coughs> she could bear. She wasn't barren. So that was you could kind of you could get things done for God in the flesh with scheming. But this is something that you could not pull off on your own. And so that's why this is miraculous. And that's why it had to take God. With man, <clears throat> things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So um, Abraham had restored his faith at this point. And here's the point that I want to kind of just drive home. And we're going to turn to just a couple more scriptures uh, and be done. But Abraham's life illustrates for us uh, a lot of things. But specifically, we're going to see that he's a great example of walking after the flesh and walking after the spirit, much like how we do. The flesh is basically, I could do it on my own, independent of God. Uh, I don't need God. I have legitimate needs, but I'm going to get those needs met in an illegitimate way. That was Ishmael. The spirit is basically saying, I can't do it on my own. I'm dependent on God. If God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. That's the way Jesus lived his life, right? And that's pictured in Isaac, this miraculous birth against all biological explanation and physiological explanation. This was only uh, the hand and the, the fingerprint of God that could do this. So when we walk in that faith of Abraham, we are believing that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so I know we want to be godly, holy, and spiritual, but we can't be godly without God. We can't be spiritual without the Spirit, and we can't be holy without the Holy One. And so we can't pull off the things that we desire without God as our resource. This is basically, if we're just kind of heli helicoptering in the book of Galatians for a little bit, this is Galatians 2.20. This is not I but Christ. This is not I, but Christ. This is the declaration of not I, but Christ. So <clears throat> Abraham's authentic faith in God's ability is forever left in the scriptures for us to learn from and to live from. So what I'd like for us to do is to turn to Romans chapter 4. And I want you to see verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has wherefore to glory, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. <clears throat> now, I want, to, I want you to drop down. Verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not, not impute sin. Well, does this blessedness come upon the circumcision only, the Jews? Or upon the uncircumcision, the Gentiles also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Well, then how was it given? How was it reckoned? When he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision, because he's saying Abraham was justified. He had this faith way before the law even came in and came down to Mount Sinai. <clears throat> and he had received the sign of circumcision, and in other words, a spiritual seal, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of them that believe, though they not be circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Now, trek with me as we go through these scriptures. I know he's using the word circumcision and uncircumcision. It basically just means, circumcision just means Jews and, law, and the law. <clears throat> and he's trying to make the point that Abraham predated all of that stuff. He was 
hundreds of years before Moses and the law. And yet God is saying he was saved, he was justified, he was reconciled, his sins were forgiven, um, he was made right in the eyes of God. <clears throat> and so what we're seeing here is that verse 13, for the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And my point today, this is where the main point is coming from, is Romans chapter 4. When we read this, when we read this description here about how Abraham lived his life, key in on that phrase, that faith of Abraham, that faith of Abraham, and that faith of Abraham. But ask yourself when we're reading that faith of Abraham, what was his faith in? When God said, leave your home country and go to a land that I'm going to, I'm going to bless you, uh, you know, exponentially. What was that faith in? He didn't have Google maps. He didn't have an atlas. He didn't have GPS on a smartphone. He just heard God and believed God. And God said, you're going to have kids and you're going to be a great nation. He was old. So he's believing that God could do something for him that he could not do for himself. That's the faith. So what is it that it's in your life that you, you can't pull off, that only God could do? That's the faith. Can you save yourself? Nope. That's the faith. Can you, can you get rid of all your sins? Nope. <coughs> That's the faith, and God has to do it. So, let's go on. So he says in verse 14, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect, because the law works wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. In other words, no speed limit sign, no infraction. Right? Verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed. And not only that which is uh, of the law, but also that which of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. See, there's this father thing again, father Abraham, father Abraham, father Abraham. You might not have had a good father that lived by faith, but you have one in the scripture, Abraham. And here's the faith that God's saying, look at that faith, <clears throat> walk in that faith. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him, whom he had believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope. There's that faith again. Against hope believed in hope. Babe, let me wake you up for a little bit. Against, we don't, she doesn't think we could ever buy a house in Southern California again, right? Against hope, believing in hope, right? <laughs> it could happen. God could do whatever, against hope, um, believing in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. Because it's a, he, he had his faith based on what God said. He believed in God's word. Christian, there's thousands of promises in the Bible for you. Um, and God that promised cannot lie, the Bible says in um, Titus chapter 1, verse 2. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. He wasn't circumstantial. He's like, okay, if God said this, then, then I'm going to father many, many, many children, and I'm about 100, I guess I'm going to go with God on this, even though he actually stepped out in 
in the flesh, right, and did the Hagar thing. <clears throat> when he was about 100 years old, neither yet um, he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving God the glory. And let me just say this again. God's delays are not God's denials. Could you imagine just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and you, you're eventually just going to take matters into your own hands, right? And that's what they did. But God came back in his grace and visited them and said, I'm going to give you a child. You are going to uh, see this promise fulfilled. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Look at who the glory goes to. Look at who the, the object of his faith is. It's on God's performance. It's not on Abraham's performance. It's not on the Christian's performance. It's not on our ability. It's on God's ability. And therefore, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Why? He simply believed. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed, but for us also. That's what I'm trying to say. All the things in the scripture were written for our comfort and our learning so that we might have hope in the scriptures, Romans uh, 15, 4. But it was written for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. So what's the point there? Abraham believed God against all odds. And he's saying these things were written so that if you put your faith in Christ that raised Jesus from the dead, guess what? You will be imputed with the same righteousness, with the same faith that Abraham had, and you'll get the same inheritance that Abraham has. You'll get the same amount of God that Abraham has. You'll get the same amount of exposure to God's glory and acceptance that Abraham has. The only thing you need to do is put your faith, the same faith that Abraham had, and the same God that Abraham had and believe that he is able, all right? And so <clears throat> let me just kind of change gears and then just wrap it up. Here's the thing, though. When it's talking about being children of Abraham, Father Abraham, being children of Abraham, being identified with this, these nations that are going to be blessed, it wasn't just exclusively Israel. Because I think where Israel got confused was that they said to Jesus in John chapter 8, we're of our father Abraham. Do you remember this dialogue? And Jesus says, if Abraham was your father, you would have believed me. Because remember, Jesus says at the end of that, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to stone him. They said blasphemy. And Jesus was explaining to them, I was way before Abraham. And he was trying to, if you read John chapter 8, this argument <clears throat> that Jesus has uh, with the Jews, they're in essence saying, because we have <laughs> DNA uh, that goes back to Abraham, because we have geography that dates and connects to Abraham and the promise, because we have all that in the flesh, we're a shoe in for the kingdom and, and for heaven. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. He said, basically, if you read that chapter, Jesus says, you have a different father, and it's not Abraham, and it's not my father. He says, you're of your father, the devil. To the religious people that had the Bible memorized, he's saying, you're not of father Abraham. 
What does it mean when Jesus says they were of Abraham? Physically speaking, geographically speaking, but you know what they were missing? What we just read. They didn't have that faith of Abraham. Read Romans 4 again in your own time. Because it was that faith of Abraham that put you in the family of God. Right? Look, they call America a Christian nation. Honor money is in God we trust. If you're born in the United States of America, does that make you a Christian? No, that's what I'm trying to say. Right? If you were born in Israel, I guess you could be called a Jew, but does that make you a child of God? No, you need that faith of Abraham where he believed, he believed in God. He believed in God that raised the dead. And he believed that the seed that was to come was going to be the Messiah. <clears throat> and so that's what saved him. And that's what Paul is trying to say is it's that faith of father Abraham that puts you in the family of God. We are not children of God by biological, physical birth, but by spiritual birth. Um, so no one is a child of God by behavior, by achievement, by genealogy, or good intentions. We are the children of God and the children of Abraham by the same kind of faith that Abraham had when the Bible says he believed in God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Let's look at some concluding verses here. Look at um, in, in the Galatian family. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you become a child of God, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. I love the way John puts it in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, to kind of back up the point that I'm making that Jesus was making with the Jews. He says, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, and nor of the will of man, but are born of God. That's why Jesus says, you must be born again, spiritually speaking. Because your physical birth is not going to cut it for the kingdom of God. That's not how you get in. That's not how you're going to get in this, this promise that God made to Abraham. Through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. You're not going to be in that blessed family without being born into that family by being spiritually birthed into it by putting faith in Christ. That's how you get into the blessed family. Does that make sense? Amen, 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 amen. Okay. But once you're in the family, it doesn't stop there. That's where the fun starts or the challenge. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> you get in the family by faith and then you still have to walk by faith. Abraham left the Ur of Chaldees by faith and he got sidetracked with flesh. He went back to faith sidetracked the flesh a little bit, back to faith, and so goes the Christian life. But he's considered the friend of God. The, I mean, the one that started the three monotheistic religions that all identify with. I mean, he and all of his black eyes and dirty laundry um, is still connected to God. And what got him connected was his faith in God. So, look, let me conclude with this. Um, you may not have had a loving father or a great example, but because of the faith of Father Abraham and because of the love of our Heavenly Father, we can be eternally in the family. 
Last verse we're going to look at today is going to be in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. <laughs> and who wants to sing this when you read this, right? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. I want to hone in on one word and wrap it all up. And you're like, dude, you've been saying that for a lot of words and a lot of verses. This wrapping up thing is a reoccurring thing. Um, honestly, though, the word bestow. Behold what manner the love of the Father has bestowed upon us. And think about this word, this didomi word in Greek. It means to give, to give something to someone of one's own accord, to give uh, one something to his advantage or their advantage, to bestow a gift, to grant, give to one asking, uh, to, to let have, to supply, to furnish uh, necessary things, to give over, to deliver, to reach out, to extend a present. And let me read that verse again. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Behold what manner of love the Father has gifted, has granted to us has supplied us, furnished us, has <clears throat> of his own accord giving us something. So God has gifted and granted and bestowed his love towards us. Why? He wants you in the family. He's a giver. He's a lover. It's what he does. He's a good, good father, right? And some of us are sitting here because we have never received this kind of love from our earthly father it's foreign to us to receive this kind of love from our Heavenly Father. I get it. I'm not going to tell you my woes of my, you know, father and my issues and stuff like that. But I will say this. God has to shape my view of who love is and what love looks like. And he has to give, he has to bestow that to me so then I could in turn bestow it to my kids. Break the cycle, Right? And that God wants you to know his love and to receive his love as a, as a loving heavenly father. I know you guys have conditional dads and you never measured up and you weren't good enough or maybe they were abusive or maybe they were just absent or maybe they just, they left or maybe they just died, right? And you don't have anything to go by because they're just physically not there. You never had the chance. There's a lot of different scenarios, but what God and his love has done as he's bestowed, he's graced and gifted. He wants you to be so immersed in the unconditional, unending, um, everlasting love that he has for you. He's never going to stop loving you. And he wants you to be immersed in this love and to know this love. Why? Not so you can just love him back, but so that you can experience what it's like to exchange this kind of love and then to be that kind of lover. Hurt people, hurt people. Loved people, loved people. I just made that part up. But it seems seems good to me, right? I didn't make the hurt people, hurt people part up. We all know that. Um, but what about being loved people by God will love other people because of God, right? Because we have everything. If I'm always being loved and I'm always being gifted and graced by God's love, and he's, I'm just his favorite child, and you're his favorite child. 
I'm never going to be kicked out of the family. I don't have to worry about losing my inheritance. If I've always in and accepted and adored, cherished, that's foreign to me, Carrie. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of love is just, I don't know that kind of love. I don't know it. I never experienced it. But God wants to give it to you. He, he wants you to not only ex, um, receive it, but experience it and then express it. So, in conclusion, have you placed your faith in the God of Abraham? The Bible identifies, God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? To validate that what he says in a promise, he will make it come to pass. Everything that he said is true. So have you become a child of God by placing your faith in God? That's how you get in the family. And he wants to love you into his family if you've never received him. What kind of walk do we have? That's a pertinent question. Abraham had many episodes of walking in the flesh, but he also had many episodes of walking in the faith. That's why the Bible says, by example, walk in that faith of Abraham. Walk in those steps of that faith of Abraham, who against all odds believed that God could pull it off. He wasn't circumstantial. He wavered a little bit. But he kept his eye on the prize, and it was God. So we too can be friends of God, and be in the family of God, and walk with all our hearts after God. So the, the challenge today is let's just be faithful fathers, faithful mothers, faithful children who will one day be mothers and fathers, um, faithful kids, you know, honoring our mother and father. If you have a mom and a dad, call them, tell them you love them, right, before it's too late. Um, and then if you are a mom and a dad, just be, be the mom God created you to be, be the dad God, uh, and, and created you to be by his power, by his might. And so let's do this. I'm going to ask that the, that the band would come up again and we're going to sing that good, good father song and be dismissed in that song. And so let's all stand. And as they're setting up. going to go ahead and pray um, for you as they're setting up and then let's all sing and then after we're done singing we'll just be dismissed heavenly father i thank you for this wonderful church for all those that couldn't be here that are out traveling and then out and about i pray you'd bless them in their times of fellowship and lord for broken relationships with fathers that are broken i pray god that you're the you have the ministry of reconciliation that you would reconcile hurt broken relationships if there's children in here that are hurt lord i pray that there would be fathers that would apologize um if there's whatever the case may be lord maybe maybe you're putting a father on someone's heart that that maybe there's been a severed relationship that needs to be um remended by your grace lord you've bestowed upon us your love we're your children we're set and we're good to go with you but help us to be good to go with our earthly relationships Lord, I thank you for the song that we're about to sing. I thank you for the music team that's uh, willing to sing it again. And may we sing it as unto you as our good father. Amen.